you can turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, and we'll read verse 17 and verse 18. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. Let's pray once more. Heavenly Father, we thank you for delivering to us your word so clear and so relevant to each of us, relevant across all times and all cultures. And God, I pray that you would speak to us through this small passage, that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you'd give us wisdom and understanding and the knowledge of you. Help us to see what you're saying, to respond to it in faith and be changed by it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Can you think of a time in your life when you experienced fear? Think about it for a moment. Can you pinpoint a time in your life when you experienced fear? When I was thinking about it, I automatically thought of one incident in my life. When I was younger, in Canada, we have a whole lot of snow. And my driveway is fairly long, and it snows so much in Canada that sometimes, multiple times, you need to have a plow to come and plow the snow. There's no way you're going to shovel your driveway. It's just way too much. You'd exhaust yourself completely. There's so much snow that the plows come regularly. And what would happen was is that uh, the plows would come and, and push all the snow to the end of the driveway, and we'd have quite a huge hill at the end of our driveway. And that, of course, was excellent when you're young. Play king of the hill and snowball fights and everything else. So we did a lot of that. But I remember one time, I remember my, my, my mom never liked us to build tunnels in the snow because she was afraid that the snow would collapse on us, and she was just not, uh, not okay with that. But one time, my friend and I, we did build a tunnel, and we were working on this tunnel, and I remember um, when we thought we had finished the tunnel, I decided to go through it, and somehow I got stuck in the tunnel with my arms like this, and I could not move, and immediately I was filled with fear. Fear just, you know, that emotion just goes right up in you because I was stuck as a little claustrophobic and, you know, all the warnings that my mom had <laughs> echoing in my ear. <laughs> I'm going to die in here, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I remember my mom actually somehow heard that I got stuck and came running out there. She had only a robe on and no, no shoes and she, <laughs> she, <laughs> she dug me out. <laughs> Can you relate to that at all? Have you ever had an experience like that where suddenly just a rush of fear kind of enters in upon you? Or another time, have you ever experienced this? This is common enough. If you're swimming in a lake, right, and you get out to the deep water and you're having fun, then you try to touch the bottom, and you can't touch the bottom, and all of a sudden you get a rush of fear because you feel kind of helpless. You feel like, you know, this is bigger than me, and it's not safe, right? <laughs> so what is Fear. Defined by the dictionary, fear is an unpleasant feeling of anxiety or apprehension caused by the presence or anticipation of danger. So if you're in the presence of danger or if you anticipate danger, then you may have fear 
at that time. It's not a pleasant feeling, is it? And here's my question. Is fear a good thing or a bad thing? Alan says good. Well, actually, fear is a good thing in a sense, right? God gave us the ability to have fear, didn't he? That's not something that, you know, later on in life, somebody comes along to your house and gives you the fear talk, and now you, now you understand fear and you can be afraid. That's a natural God-given gift of fear. God gave us fear to protect us. When we feel like we're in danger, we have fear. Fear causes us to, to notice that which is causing danger and to seek to eliminate that source of danger, right? If you're afraid, what do you want to do? You want to get away from that. That is causing you danger. It can be a bad thing when you don't fear, right? Sometimes people don't fear things. Um, you know, we should fear perhaps falling off a cliff if we stand too close to it. But if you don't fear that, you might be reckless and fall off the cliff if you don't exercise or have an exercise of fear. But is there, any, is there ever a time when fear is a bad thing? And also we would say yes. So a, a good thing can be bad for us when we fear what we should not fear or when we fear irrationally. You ever had an irrational fear? Some people have. They're afraid of something, but there's no reason for them to be afraid. And God wouldn't want you to be afraid at that time. That's your God-given fear acting inappropriately, acting wrongly, malfunctioning in a sense. Or in the Bible, sometimes God says, don't fear, right? Because now naturally you would fear. Remember when he tells the Israelites, don't fear the, the, uh, the giants in the land? Now, naturally, you would fear them. God gives you a natural self-protection mechanism within you. If you see a big giant with a big sword, and you're a little guy with a, not a big sword, then you'd fear that guy, right? But in that context, God says, don't fear because why? I am with you. Exactly. I am with you. If I wasn't with you, yeah. God says, go ahead and fear. You should be afraid. But because I am with you, therefore, fearing in this situation isn't a good thing. Now, is there anything in your life that is a bad fear, do you think? Do you have any bad fear in your life? Do you fear something that you shouldn't fear because God is with you? Now, if he wasn't with you, perhaps you should fear. But because God is with you, you need not fear. So think about that this morning. Now, John is discussing here, the, in the verses that we read, 17 and 18, he's discussing fear. Did you notice the word? And the opposite of fear, which is boldness or courage or confidence, no fear. He's discussing it in the context, however, not general. He's not talking about general fear. John is not saying that love casts out all fear. You'll never fear again when you become a Christian. Once you become a Christian, you can stand on the edge of the cliff and you won't experience the mechanism of fear. You won't have that experience. That's not true. As Christians, we still fear and that's not always a bad thing. But John is talking about fear and boldness in the context of what? In the context of the judgment day. He's talking about fear and boldness in the context of the judgment day. And sometimes we miss that. We sometimes see that in verse 17, right? 
we see that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, but when we get to verse 18, we forget that he's talking about the day of judgment. And then we start applying fear to all sorts of different things. But in verse 18 also, he's saying, there's no fear in love. There's no fear of what? There's no fear of judgment, of the judgment day in love. So John's talking about the judgment day. John believed in the judgment day. John, who knew Jesus, believed in the judgment day, a belief not very popular today. Some people would not like to believe in the judgment day anymore. And even as Christians who do technically believe in the judgment day, do we often think of the judgment day? John knew Jesus, and Jesus believed in the judgment day. As a matter of fact, the exact same expression, the day of judgment, he just borrows from Jesus. Jesus talked much about the day of judgment. One thing Jesus said about the day of judgment in Matthew 12, 36, he says, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. So Jesus believed in the day of judgment. John believed in the day of judgment. And these weren't just little doctrines with them. These were realities with them. Do you believe in the day of judgment? Do you believe in the day of judgment like Jesus just described? Every idle word. Now that gives us a little bit of an insight into what that day is going to be like, right? What sort of things are going to be judged? Some people say, well, I believe in the day of judgment, but just the biggies are going to be judged, right? Just the big ones. Jesus says every idle word. That means even the words that you just say without much thought are going to be judged on the day of judgment. Not just the ones that you deliberately say, but even the ones that are idle, that are just coming out of your mouth for whatever reason. God's going to judge those things too? What kind of a God are we dealing with here? If God's going to judge like that, and we understand from Scripture that God's going to judge us in righteousness, right? The Apostle Paul says, there's coming a day when he will judge the world in righteousness. And righteousness as we know from Scripture, is absolute moral perfection. There's no righteousness besides absolute moral perfection. You can't say, I passed the test of righteousness on the judgment day if you aren't moral, morally perfect. So here's the thing. How is John talking about boldness on the day of judgment? Think about that for a second now. Think about you standing before God on the day of judgment and God's going to judge every idle word that you've ever spoken. If he's going to judge every idle word, that you, every idle word, how much more is he going to judge all your actions, all your thoughts, everything about you he's going to judge? How are you going to have boldness on that day? Here's the amazing thing to notice here in John 4.17. The fact that he's even talking about boldness on the day of judgment is an amazing thing. The first John is the letter of joyful assurance. John wants us to have assurance. John wants us to be bold on the day of judgment. He wants us to have that confidence on the day of judgment. Isn't that amazing? Now, what's the answer? John says, 
we have boldness on the day of judgment because love is perfected in us. And if love isn't perfected in us, verse 18, he says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. Fear involves the anticipation of punishment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. So if you're made perfect in love, you don't fear. And if you aren't made perfect in love, then you do fear. So the question, of course, is what does it mean to be made perfect in love? Because your imagination can run wild with that expression, right? Now let's look closely at what it's saying here about being made perfect in love. Now verse 17, John says, herein, and the King James unfortunately translates this, herein is our love made perfect. That's not a good translation of the Greek. The translation would better be, herein is love made perfect with us. So he's not talking about our love being made perfect. He's talking about love being made perfect with us. And what is the herein referring to? Some people believe it's referring to what follows. Herein is love made perfect with us that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. But that doesn't really make much sense. And most scholars agree that the herein refers to what preceded. So what John had just said, then he says, that's how love is made perfect with us. What has he just said? Well, in order to see that, we need to go back a few verses to verse 12. John says, No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us, and his love, notice it's not our love, his love is perfected in us. Now, some people have taken this verse to mean that if we love one another, that's the cause of God dwelling in us and his love being perfected in us. Actually, many commentators believe that. If we love one another, if I love Alan, and if I love Deanna, and if I love Tom, then that's the cause of God dwelling in me and his love being perfected in me. If I love, then his love has been perfected in me. Or is because of that. Now, what do you think about that? If you do that, then basically what you're doing is you're rooting assurance in your love and in your works. You cannot have assurance that you're saved or you cannot have assurance that you'll have a good judgment day unless you're loving the brethren, unless you're loving one another in a, in a perfect way. God's love is perfect in you. Some people take that to mean that his perfect love is now perfectly manifesting itself through you. The problem with that is who of us loves perfectly? Could you have confidence, do you think, in the day of judgment that you love perfectly every single person? I don't think so. The other way you can take this is that, and this is the way that many others take this and how I take this in verse 12, is that if we love one another, that is not the cause but an evidence that God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us. God's love is perfected in you and God dwells in you, the evidence of that being that you love the brethren. That you love the brethren, as we've talked about in the past. The fact that you love those who are righteous through faith, and you express that as well, 
but at a deep level, you love those who are righteous through faith. You don't hate them like Cain. That's an evidence that something is in you, God, the God of love and his love, which is a special love, right? It's not the, gen- the general love like the world has, where they greet one another. They greet their own. They salute their own. This is that special love that John talks about a few verses earlier. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, another clue to unlocking this passage in 17 and 18 is seeing that the word perfect actually means complete or accomplished in its purpose. So perfect love doesn't necessarily mean flawless love. That's how we might read that. Flawless love. I don't know if, you saw, if that's the way you read it. When you think of perfect love, rather than thinking about flawless love, God's love is flawless, of course, but what John is talking about is the purpose of love being completed in you. Love, God's love has been perfected in you, meaning God's love has fulfilled its purpose in you. That's how John means perfect love. Love is perfected with us. And therefore we have boldness on the day of judgment. So John is not saying that when you love flawlessly, then you may have boldness on the day of judgment. That's not going to happen. But when God's love, God's love, and what is that love? That's the love we learn about in the gospel. When it accomplishes its purpose in you, and what is that purpose? Look at verse 16. We have known and believed the love that God has to us. And because we know and believe the love that God has to us, or maybe you could ask yourself that, do you know and believe the love that God has for you? Now, most people in the world will say, yeah, I know God loves me. John's not just saying, do you know that God loves you? He's saying, do you know and believe the love that God has for you? Yeah, that love that I'm talking about, not this general love. Behold what manner of love. The love he's been talking about, the love that's revealed in the gospel, the love that God has for sinners who don't deserve anything but punishment. God so loved them, God sent his son into the world to be the propitiation for their sins so that we might have boldness on the day of judgment. Do you know that love? Do you believe that love? And if you do, then you can say God is love. You know who God is through the knowledge of the gospel. The love of God is brought to its intended goal in us when we know it, when we believe it, when we are saved by and through that love, when we're changed by it, or you can sum it all up in this, when as a result God dwells in us. The love of God has been perfected in you when you dwell in God and God dwells in you. That is, when there's fellowship between you and God, when there's reconciliation between you and God, when there's oneness between and with you and God, then God's love for you has reached its purpose in you. 
if you fear the judgment day, then the purpose of God's love hasn't been fulfilled in you. How can that be? If the purpose of God's love was so that you could know it, see it, believe it, be saved, and have reconciliation with God and oneness and fellowship with God. Now God's your father. Now you know he sent his son. Now you know he's forgiven you of your sins. Now you know he loves you in that way. And he himself has saved you from all judgment and condemnation. When you so know that. People who think they, they believe in the God that is real and that they, they, don't, they don't fear the judgment. They do they or they, this is just a figment of their imagination that they don't fear it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So they just don't fear it, but for what reason don't they fear it? That's the question. Maybe they think that they won't be judged, so they think they are going to heaven. Okay, but why? Is it because they have known and believed the love of God in the gospel and they've realized that Christ died for their sins and through his death he has atoned for their sins and therefore saved them from the judgment day? Or is it for some other reason? Ah, he's just going to, he's not going to really judge everybody. He'll just judge the bad guys. You know, I'll be okay. Most people aren't afraid of the judgment day, are they? But it's not for John's reason. Okay? John does not want us to be afraid of the judgment day, but there's only one reason why you shouldn't be afraid of the judgment day. Because God's love, revealed in the gospel, revealed in the giving of his son, revealed in the propitiation, that's the love he's been talking about, has been known and believed by you. That's the only reason why you shouldn't fear the judgment day. And, if, and there's many people that don't fear it, but what's the reason? If it's not that reason, it's not a good boldness. It's the kind of boldness that many people will have on, on the judgment day when they say, Lord, didn't I do many wonderful things in your name and don't you know me? Didn't I sit under your teaching and didn't we do stuff together? Because I didn't know you. No. Isn't that amazing that the person thought they knew Jesus? What Jesus were they knowing then? A different Jesus. Unfortunately, there'll be many people on Judgment Day who will approach boldly thinking to find the Jesus that they had believed in their whole life only to find a different Jesus on that throne. And that boldness, presumptuous boldness, will be turned into fear. Yes. Yes. He does. Very clever. And we just we just I mean most people just assume that the devil's obviously going to have a big pitchfork and a tail and horns, you know. But it says that he sends his ministers as ministers of righteousness and they come as wolves in sheep's clothing, right? I think maybe like we think that the devil is in, I don't know, in, in, in like nightclubs or something like that. Right. Actually, he's, he, he's there, but that's not really like a big part of where you can get it because he knows that's just a means to an end. Right. But certain religions is where he can really target people 
blind to such an extent that they actually can't see anything else. Exactly. Exactly. The devil's playground isn't the bars, necessarily, is it? It's the, it's the false churches and religions. Absolutely. So, brothers and sisters, there's only one way to have boldness on the judgment day. Do you see that? This judgment day should be a terrifying thing, except that God is with you in Christ. You can have boldness on the day of judgment. You can approach the throne of judgment boldly, even though God would, would judge you for every idle word. You can approach boldly knowing that Christ died for you, shed his blood for you, cleanses you from all sin because God loves you. That knowledge of the love of God brings about boldness, casts away fear. So if you're afraid of the judgment day, what do you need? You need perfect love. You need love accomplished in your life. You need to know the love of Christ. It will cast away that fear of the judgment day. John Bunyan was a man that struggled for a long time to have peace with God, struggled for a long time to have boldness and to lose the fear of the judgment. Have you ever read his biography, autobiography, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners? I'm going to give that as a hearty recommend. Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. And it's interesting that many Puritan biographies, they deal with the salvation of the of the person that they're writing about in the first chapter. And then the rest of the book usually deals with their ministry. I don't know if you, have you ever read a Puritan biography, but usually the first chapter is how they get saved and then the rest of it is what they do after they're saved. Well, Bunyan's autobiography is different because the whole book almost is his coming to know Christ. And he struggled so badly to have peace with God because he kept looking at himself and looking at his own sinfulness and he couldn't get peace with God as long as he was doing that. And he writes that it was when he saw that Christ was his righteousness and that he didn't have any righteousness of his own, but that he saw that Jesus at the right hand of God was his righteousness, was his identity. He was bound up with Jesus because God had loved him, sent his son, and undertook on his behalf and put the old John Bunyan to death on the cross so that John Bunyan, the new creation, could be alive unto God in Jesus Christ. It was when he saw that Christ was all of his righteousness that he had peace. It's an amazing, amazing autobiography. I recommend you read it. It's what John says here. We don't have, we don't have fear in the day of judgment because we realize through this perfected love that as he is, at the end of verse 17, so are we in this world. That is a profound revelation that we get, isn't it? Isn't that just the, the revelation of Christianity, of when we become Christians, in a sense? We realize that it's not me standing alone anymore, but I am as he is. Not as he was. It doesn't say, as he was, so am I. You know, he was loving, he was meek, he was mild, and that's how I am. It's saying, as he is now. As he is now perfectly holy and righteous and exalted in heaven, his perfection, his righteousness, that's me too. I'm one with him. You can't distinguish us now. Our righteousness, it's his, not mine. That's the only way you can have boldness on the day of judgment. 
that you can say, I have boldness for the future judgment day because right now I'm as he is in this world. That's What a statement, huh? As he is, so am I in this world. Can you say that this morning? If that's talking about your love, the manifestation of your love, who, who can say that? Yeah, as he is, so am I. <laughs> who can say that? But if it's talking about the righteousness of Christ that is yours, that God, when he looks at you, he sees you in Christ and as perfect as Christ, then you can say that, and then you can have boldness. As the famous hymn says, Bold shall I stand on thy great day, for who ought to my charge shall lay, while through thy blood absolved I am from sin's tremendous curse and shame. How do we have boldness according to that hymn writer? Because no one can lay any charge against me because through your blood I'm absolved from sin's tremendous curse and shame. Sin's tremendous curse and shame. Only through the blood of Jesus. So all Christians should have boldness on the judgment day. It doesn't mean you don't have fear of anything, but you should not have fear of the judgment day. You should not fear that, I'm afraid that when I die, God's going to hold all my sins against me. That's not a Christian belief. I think if you fear the judgment day, then you probably aren't a Christian. On the contrary, however, if you aren't a Christian, then you should fear the judgment day. You should look at that giant with the big sword and you should be afraid. Because if you aren't a Christian and you haven't believed on Christ Jesus as your Savior and his love hasn't been perfected in you, then you should fear. In a sense, God is not with you. He wants to be. And the gospel call is be reconciled to God. God wants to be with you. But if you're not a Christian, then God isn't with you until you believe and have your sins forgiven through Christ. Now, there's many people that believe in God and believe that God is with them, but he's not because they don't believe in Christ. They don't believe in the love of God, that specific love that's revealed in Christ. And the amazing thing is that for the judgment day, for the very same thing, for one person it will be a joy It'll be peace. It'll be amazing. You know how amazing it will be on Judgment Day as a Christian when you approach that throne and you realize that you should go to hell and you realize that the Lamb had been slain for you and you're totally, totally justified on that day. You know how amazingly joyful that will be. And yet that very same day for another will be horror and dread. Paul says, Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. There's nothing more terrifying than the judgment day. Now God's love, as we've been saying, is what casts away that fear. But unfortunately, men seek to cast fear out other ways. People try to forget about the judgment day. Maybe they're afraid of it, but they seek to forget it. Or they seek to fill up their time with distractions and entertainments and other things that make that fear go away. And let me tell you, do not 
push away the fear of the judgment day until you have believed in Christ. Don't alleviate that fear by any other way. There's only one way. And until you have Christ, then you should be troubled. And don't seek to bring peace to your soul any other way through um, you know, just distracting yourself or forgetting about it or filling your life with other things. If you're troubled about the judgment day, then be troubled until you find Christ. There is peace in Christ, but only in him. And don't fool yourself any other way. There's no peace in your good works. Do not think that you will be okay on judgment day because you somehow follow the rules. Go to church, keep commandments, try your best. All these things will not bring you peace but only in Christ. God's given us fear as a good thing. We fear physically when we get close to that cliff so we don't fall off. God's given us fear of the judgment day. That's a good thing. You should fear because through fear, God is leading you to Christ. He's giving you fear to lead you to him so that he can take away that fear. What did we sing earlier? "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." and grace my fears relieved. God gives us fear so that we'd notice what the problem is. The source of the danger is you're a sinner and God is a just judge. But the remedy for that is Christ in his death and only in his death. By grace you're saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. So fear is a good thing and it brings you to Christ. And isn't it true that we don't truly ever understand the love of God unless we've understood fearing Him? So, in closing, God wants us to be assured of our salvation, of our future. He wants us to have boldness on the judgment day. That's why He sent His Son. He didn't send His Son to die on the cross for your sins so that for the rest of your life, you'd be afraid of meeting God. Okay? He sent his son to die for your sins so that you could boldly approach him on the judgment day, totally forgiven, just as we sing in so many different songs, right? No fear in life, no guilt in, in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me, right? Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. And this also has a wonderful effect on our present day life. To quote one pastor, S. Lewis Johnson, he said, he who possesses the last hour no longer needs to fear the next minute. If, you're, if the last hour is, is secure for you and you know you have salvation, then why should you fear the next minute? Isaac Watts, in a lesser known hymn, he wrote, when I can read my title clear to mansions in the skies, I bid farewell to every fear and wipe my weeping eyes. Should earth against my soul engage and hellish darts be hurled, then I can smile at Satan's rage and face a frowning world. But he could do all those things because he could see his title in heaven. And you can see your title, your, your entrance, your security in Christ. You can see that today because he shed his blood for you, because he rose from the dead, because you've put your faith in him. You're saved and you can face a frowning world 
and all that Satan has to throw at you. So do you believe in God's love for you? Has his love been perfected in you? Has it reached its fulfillment in you, which was to show you who he is and give you peace in himself, reconciliation and oneness with himself? If so, then you may have boldness on the day of judgment and boldness today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for freeing us from sin and death and wrath all through the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, for having mercy on sinners. Thank you that we do not have to twist your arm to make you merciful. Thank you that we do not have to make you merciful. We just believe that you are merciful to us in your Son. And God, if there's anybody here today who does not have boldness, who fears punishment, God, I pray that you would just show them the only remedy and just show them your love and cause your love to accomplish its purpose in your life, in their life. Take away all false hope. Remove all false hope from, from anyone here that would not find peace in you alone. And God, thank you for freeing us from judgment. Thank you for casting out fear. Cause us to live every day in that assurance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.